Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. What's up, everyone? It's great to be joining you again on this Sunday morning. Uh, man, we, we are honored and thrilled to be able to come into your home. Man, if this is your first or second time joining us on, online, uh, well, we're grateful to have this opportunity. If this is your church, man, we're, we're grateful to be with you and, and share, share this message with you. Do me a favor before we jump into today's message. If you haven't yet, sh- share this. Share what's going on. Invite a friend. Text somebody right now. Uh, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite stories in Scripture uh, today, and I would love to share it with somebody who needs some hope today, with somebody who needs some encouragement, with somebody who needs their life to be changed. So if you haven't yet done that, uh, be, a, be a part of being a contributor in our church today in, in the way that we, we can. So usually we would say, hey, be a contributor by serving. One of the best ways you can serve is to, to share our content online, to, to be engaged, to comment, uh, to welcome a new person. If you don't recognize somebody that joins us online, they comment in the online. Just let them know, hey, it's good to see you. It's good to be watching church with you today. Uh, we're going to go into a time of tithes and offerings before that we jump into our message. If this is your first or second time, uh, this time's not for you. We want, we want the, today to be a gift to you. Uh, but if this is your church, uh, let's continue to be faithful. Let's continue to seek the Lord in the area of our finances as we go through this difficult time together. Uh, let's continue to not only put God first in our tithe, uh, but thank you, church, for continuing to give in the 245 fund. Uh, man, it's been a real honor to continue to meet the needs from rent to, to meals to computers uh, to whatever, whatever need comes across our, our plate, so to speak. It's, it's amazing for us to say, yeah, we have money, we can help you. We want to keep doing that all the way through the end. Uh, we want to finish this strong. And so we're grateful uh, to be together. Let's pray. Let's ask God to bless this offering, to bless our time, and, and then to move in the way that only he can move. Would you do that with me all over our houses? Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for all those who are gathered, uh, those that know you, know you well, serve you wholeheartedly. Those that don't yet know you, they're, 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 they're not fully aware of your love for them all that you've done through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would inhabit our homes, that you would anoint every word that is brought forth through your word today. Lord, that as we are uh, giving today, as, as we are putting you first in our finances, that that, that song we sang, that you're faithful, that you, all your promises are yes and amen, Lord, that you're faithful in our finances, that when we trust you and we live with the open hand, that we get to live under an open heaven. And so, Lord, we are grateful, Father, that we can trust you. We are grateful that you're going to take every penny that comes into this offering. And, Lord, you're going to expand your mission. You're going to reach those not yet here. Lord, we're going to meet needs all over this region and, and beyond that, Lord, and we are grateful that we can be a generous church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As you're, you're giving, uh, we're going to jump into today's message. Uh, we are on week number two of House Party. We encourage you in the beginning of last week's message. I'm going to do the same thing. Man, share, share a picture. Hashtag journey, uh, house party. And, and share a picture, J-R-N-Y house party. Let us see you watching church. Man, it's, it's one, of the, one of the things I miss the most is being together. And so it gives us a little bit of that feeling when we know we're all together, even though we're not physically in a room together, where we're together, we're watching church 
church. Maybe you've wondered why we do church very specific times. And so uh, some, some churches have decided to play it all day long, kind of on Sunday, and just go and kind of replay things. We've decided to do it live, and there's not a right or wrong reason. The reason we've decided to do it live uh, at 10 o'clock is we want to feel like we're all together. And so uh, I've noticed, because I get online and I watch it with you as I'm getting ready to come up here and, and, and preach, I've noticed a lot of you are still late for church, even though it's online church. I want to remind you, it starts at 10 o'clock, uh, and so you can just jump on right there in your PJs, but let's do our best to all get together at the same time and worship the Lord at the same time. I know if you're at work or something like that right now, you're going to catch up later on during the day at six or on demand or whatever, but this is a really special time when we get to all come together and experience the presence of God uh, all over this region together. But we are in week number two of the sermon series that we called House Party, where we're taking a look at some of of the best uh, examples of Jesus doing great works in people's homes. I told you last week, I said, really, if you check out the life of Christ, he did his earthly ministry in three areas. The synagogues, which would be like our churches, the places they would study scripture, uh, public spaces. And so you see him preaching to 5,000 people on the mountainside. Uh, You see him him healing at the pool of Bethesda, meeting meeting a blind man, having him wash, things like that. And then you see these examples of Jesus uh, doing miraculous works in people's lives in their homes. And so I, I thought, man, what a great time to take a look at these different examples than, than right now as we are having church at home. I believe God can do great things in spite of us not being in a physical church. The church is bigger than a building. And so we're coming on Sunday expecting him to do great things. And so we're, we're, we've been talking about this concept of Jesus doing life-changing work in people's homes. I told you last week, I said, I think the reason that this is so easy for Jesus to accomplish this is we often, we often grow gravitate to where we're accepted, right? Acceptance is often the doorway for change. And so we gravitate to where we're accepted, and acceptance is often uh, the doorway to change. And so today I want to talk to you in one of what I think is the craziest stories in, in the New Testament. I want to talk to you, uh, kind of open up talk, talking like this. Have you ever been in a situation where you were confused by somebody's choice? Like you were, you were confused. I'll give you an example from my own life, and maybe you can think about your own life. But when I was in college, uh, I went to Bible college, and so it was it was a place where people would date and get married quickly. If you didn't have a wife by the time, or, or were engaged by the time you were a senior, you began to felt the pressure, feel the pressure. And so people started to get married uh, at, a, at, a, at a more rapid rate because they were about to graduate. And so if you didn't go to Bible college, you won't understand this fully, but there was this pressure. You needed a wife, you needed a husband if you're going to go into ministry in the church. And so I remember this one, this one guy that I knew. Nothing specifically wrong with him, uh, but he had just never been what I would call ladies' man, if you, you know, quote-unquote ladies' man. In fact, uh, I had spent four years in college with him, and he had never had a girlfriend up to that point. Uh, he wasn't stressed out about it. He wasn't worried about it. Uh, he was pretty confident in himself, uh, but I wouldn't say he was a ladies' man. I wouldn't say he was the best-looking guy in, in the world, uh, but I remember in our senior year, he started to like this, this one girl at Bible college that I thought, man, she's out of your league, bro. Like, I don't think you should, you should even try. I think you're going to embarrass yourself. I think you're, you know, six, she's a, she's a nine or 10 or whatever. I think maybe you shouldn't, shouldn't do that, right? But he began to talk to this girl and make a long story short, uh, they started a date, uh, they got engaged and they got married shortly after, after Bible college was over. And I remember thinking to myself when they started a date to, about the girl, like, what, 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 why? Like, why are you making this choice? Why, why are you deciding to date him? There's a lot of guys that have tried to date you in the past and a lot, and you decided to date him. Now I will tell you, it's been almost 20 years since Bible college. Right, and they're still married. They have kids.
kids. They're, they're serving the Lord faithfully. And I realized a long time ago that girls look for more than just looks, right? Like for me, it was like, well, he's not that good looking of a guy. But in the moment, I remember thinking, that's your choice? Like out of all of the people in the world at Bible college, all these guys, right? You're going to choose, choose this guy. Like I just didn't fully get it. And I say all that uh, and I can talk about that guy because he was one of my friends, right? He was a great guy, uh, and, and he's worked, turned, turned out great for him. But I say all that to, to kind of lead you into this story. This is one of those head-scratcher moments in the life of Jesus. Like, this is one of those moments that you realize he is so much more than a politician. He is so much more than somebody who's trying to build his, just his earthly platform, that he's come for a kingdom that is not of this world. This is one of the, these moments that if you just don't know Jesus at all and you think logically about this moment, this moment is super confusing. And, and, and here's the thing. We, we've heard of this story before. If you grew up in church, you've, you've probably sung the song about this man that I'm going to introduce you to. And he's a pretty common man. But here's what I found out growing up in church. Oftentimes when you grow up in church as a kid, they leave out details. And so this man I'm going to introduce, introduce to you, his name is Zac- Zacchaeus. And they used to sing a song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Climbed up in a sycamore tree. And then the rest of it kind of plays out. But they, they sang this song. They forget to leave out in the details. Like they just kind of pass over the parts, like, I'll give you an example. We teach kids about Noah's Ark, right? Two by two, God's, God, saves, God saves Noah and his family, brings two by twos. What we often don't tell them is everybody else dies. Like, that's not the part that they introduce you to in, 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 in Sunday school. Like, usually you, you figure that out later on. Like, there's, there's parts of the story that if you're not careful, you, you miss it. But I want you to dive in because this is one of those head scratchers, right? We're going to go to Luke chapter 19, verse number one. The Bible says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. He was, he, was, he was entering Jericho, and he was passing through. Some of you, he's passing through your social media feed right now. Uh, some of you, he, he's, you're like, what's going on? Jesus is coming, but he's coming for a reason. Like, he, he, you're, you're, you fell on this today for a reason. Jesus doesn't pass through anywhere without a purpose. And so he's heading through Jericho, and he's passing through, the Bible says. The Bible says in verse number two, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. You should highlight that somewhere. And was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a tree, a sycamore tree, to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he comes down the tree at once and welcomes him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, right? They began to complain. Uh, he had gone, he's gone to be the house, a, a guest of a sinner. But Zac- Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now, I'm going to give half of all my money away to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'm going to pay it back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. That word is important. Because what he was saying is this, this man's a part of the family of God. This, this man is a part of my family. When he, when, when he called him that, right? Most other people weren't calling him a son of Abraham. They were calling him some other choice words. Jesus says, you're the son of Abraham. And then he says something really foundational to the, the entire ministry of Jesus. Watch what he says. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Why did he come? To seek 
and saved the lost. So let me kind of establish why this is such a crazy choice by Jesus. Because the Bible lets us know Zacchaeus is not just a short man. He's not a man who's just up in a tree. He's not a wee little man. It lets us know before any of that that he is what? He's a tax collector, but not only is he a tax collector, he is the chief tax collector. So let me just give you a couple reasons that nobody likes tax collectors. Nobody wanted them around. One, obviously, nobody likes to pay the ta- their taxes. Like Nobody enjoys paying taxes to the government. We do it. It's honoring. We're we're called to do it in scripture, but nobody fully enjoys it. But here's what's even worse. At that time, the government was not a Jewish government. The government was actually taken over by the Roman empire. And so when you paid your taxes, you weren't paying them to your home country. You were paying them to a foreign empire that had taken over your home country and enslaved them to their rule. They let them live like Jews, but they made them pay taxes to Rome. And so they didn't really enjoy paying taxes, but let me just kind of make it e- even more for you. Number two, the reason nobody liked tax collectors is because they were Jews who worked for the Romans. So here's what the Romans would do. Uh, they would allow you to continue to live in your, uh, in your country with your rules and your religious beliefs and your traditions, uh, but they would take you over and make you pay taxes. But instead of hiring an outside man to enforce taxes, they would find Jewish people that were looking to get ahead at the expense of their own country. And so they would hire these Jewish men to collect taxes. And so not only was Zacchaeus a tax collector, but he was working for the hated Romans. And just to make it even worse, it was common in that day that it was acceptable for tax collectors to not only collect tax, but to raise it a little bit more than they needed to so that they could skim off the top. And so they would get rich at the expense of the Jewish people working for the Roman people. And let's just think about it. Uh, these tax collectors would take money from everybody. There was kids that would go hungry and families that would be without at the expense uh, of these tax collectors getting rich because they they weren't just getting ahead. They were getting wealthy. Because of all this, they were outcasts. Because of the way that they lived, nobody liked them. Nobody wanted them around the synagogue. Nobody wanted them in their, in their family. Like a lot of times, tax collectors were just friends with other tax collectors. And let me, just, let me just point this. Like Zacchaeus, not only was he a tax collector, but the Bible says that he was the boss of all the tax collectors in Jericho. He was the chief tax collector. So out of everybody, everybody in Jericho, we're informed that there is people coming to see Jesus. They've heard about the good works of Jesus. They know he's coming before he gets there. Word has spread. Out of everybody in that city that's waiting to see Jesus, do you see how how crazy this is, right? How silly this is. Jesus picks the tax collector, maybe the most hated, ruthless villain in the entire city. Jesus stops, looks up, calls him by name, by the way, which means that he was coming through that city on purpose to meet the worst guy in the city, calls him by by name and says, guess what? Not only do I want to speak to you, but I want to come to your house, which in that culture meant that he was accepting Zacchaeus as a person. This is the most, the only thing I could think about, and I made this my, my sermon title, this is the most ridiculous moment maybe in the gospel. In all of the stories of Jesus, this has to be one of the most ridiculous moments that we often miss. Out of all the people he could have chose, 
he chooses Zacchaeus. He chooses maybe the worst and most hated guy in the entire city. Now, we, we don't have tax collectors, but just think about the people that oftentimes that you despise, you can't stand, you don't look forward to seeing, you don't look forward to spending time with. You would think to yourself, if Jesus lived right now, you probably wouldn't want to be around them because nobody else wants to be around them. And then compare your you know, hatred or, or your anger towards them, whatever else you're dealing with, and connect it to Zacchaeus, and that might be exactly who Jesus would spend time with. This is completely ridiculous. You ever have a ridiculous moment? A few weeks ago, I did some of my own. Uh, we're, we're in quarantine, and so I needed to, I wanted to install a few lights, and so I, in, my, in, my, in my upstairs, so I decided to do the work myself. So I went up in the attic, and I cut these, 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 these recessed lights, and I wired them in. But when I wired them in, I didn't have the right, uh, right kind of wiring. I didn't really know what to do. There was junction boxes, and so I just kind of uh, rigged it up and left it alone and thought to myself, uh, we might all die. I don't, this isn't up to code. There's wires everywhere. There's nothing in a junction box, nothing is covered, you know, and so I called an electrician. I said, listen, I, I know that we're in quarantine, but if you could come to my house at some point, I want to make sure my house doesn't burn down, especially because we're in it all the time. Would you come to my house? So we set up this day, Friday, nine o'clock, a few weeks ago. He's going to come over to my house. He's going to fix up a few areas that, that I've probably messed up and make us feel safe. And so nine o'clock, he's going to come over. About 830, I wake my kids up because I, I don't want them, their breath to be stinky when they get there, their hair to be hit, messed up. I, I want them to look presentable, not like the walking dead. And so I say to my kids, I said, can you guys get up and can you get ready? We have, a, we have an electrician coming. He's going to be here for a few hours. Then we can go you know, walk or go outside and play. But can you get up? And they, 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 they got up. They weren't mad about it. They got up and they, they kind of started getting ready. And right before he got there, it was about 9.50, I said to myself, to my son, I said, uh, my oldest son, I said, can you go downstairs and can you clean up the guest bathroom a little bit? And if you have boys, you know what that means. We just, we just tend to get it at, you know, everywhere. Pee just goes everywhere. And so getting it in the toilet is optional. And so this guy's coming over. If he needs to use the restroom, he's going to use the guest restroom. Let's make it look presentable. Let's look presentable ourselves. Let's make it look presentable. So he goes down. Uh, I'm, one of my other sons is right above in the upstairs bathroom taking a shower. He goes down. He screams, Dad! The toilet's overflowing, Dad. Now, it's about 8.50. Electrician's coming at 9. The toilet's overflowing. And I'm like, which one of you clogged it? You know, what's going on? And he's like, the toilet's overflowing. And so I run down, and I look at it, and it is just overflowing. I take the plunger. I'm plunging it. It just continues to overflow. Uh, and the shower stops above, above me. I can hear my son get out. And all of a sudden, the water kind of just slowly goes back down. I think, okay, we're good. My next son gets back in the shower. Shower goes back on. All of a sudden, the water starts to come out of the toilet again. And I quickly realize, oh my gosh, I don't have a clogged toilet. I have a clogged sewer system. It's not about 855, plumber coming at nine, water everywhere. You know, I don't know what's going on. This is a completely ridiculous moment. He shows up. My feet are all soggy. I don't know what to do. I had to finally call somebody to come out, to, to, to go out into the front yard, to snake, to pull it out. I, I, it was all clogged up. Reason it was clogged up, I believe, is because we're using 13 ply toilet paper right now because that's all that was left because everybody has panic bought all the other toilet paper. And so it, it was either our hand or 13 ply. And my kids are going to the bathroom so much because they're eating so many little Debbies that they clog the system up and it is a completely ridiculous moment in my life ever been there where this is just completely ridiculous this is a completely ridiculous moment there has to be somebody else better more qualified kinder more acceptable for Jesus to pick to come over to his house to hang out with than Zacchaeus and by the way all of his friends are going to show up guess what all of his friends do they're also task collectors these are the worst of the worst of the worst. And I think there's two ways you can look at this. One, 
You can say, it's ridiculous, but it's in ridiculous taste. It's in ridiculous taste. You see, the religious people, the the normal people, what do they say? The Bible says in verse 7 that all the people saw this, and what did they do? They began to mutter. By the way, that's the PG word to say they began to, to, to complain. Just say the word mutter with me. When you say the word mutter, it's almost like the comic book version of of when somebody's complaining, but you can't hear their words. They just began to mutter. We we all have muttered from time to time. We've muttered about different things. We've muttered about that toilet that was overflowing. I've muttered about my kids, you know, making a mess. We've muttered. These people looked at what Jesus was doing, and they began, the Bible says, to mutter. And they say to themselves, he's gone to be at the house of a sinner. See, this is a classic example of people that don't fully understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. This happens often in church, by the way. Like we, we come to a place dedicated to the grace and mercy of God, to forgiveness of sins, dedicated to the message that Jesus can literally, physically, and spiritually change anybody's life in the blink of an eye, that you can walk in one way and you can leave a changed way because of the presence of God. We celebrate verses like it's better to be in the presence of the Lord than it is to be a thousands elsewhere. That means it's more effective. That means it's more life-changing that means it's more hope-filled yet when moments like this happen like like could you for a second let's just think about church because oftentimes when we come to church there's certain people that you expect to be there there's certain people that that are made a big deal at church there's certain people that kind of run churches and then think about who could walk in that you would go man i can't believe that the pastor's giving that person preferential treatment. I can't believe that they're focusing on those type of people when all of the upstanding, healthy people, that's what they're doing. I can't believe Jesus has gone to the house of the rich cheat, and right here we have this handicapped child that he could have touched. I can't believe out of all the people, out of all the people that he's going to Zacchaeus' house to hang out with the worst of the worst, when you have this woman who's a single mom who is in need of help, why isn't he going here? Why isn't Jesus being more fair? Which is always what religious people say. I want to. I want to make sure you understand this. You don't want God to be fair to you. you. You don't want him to be fair to you because if he was fair to you, the Bible says that every one of us has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. And, and the wages of our, of our sin is death and hell. That's what would be fair to you. What would be fair is that he would never speak to you. He would never pay attention to you. Think about all the times. Think about all the times before all this happened, when life was quote-unquote normal, that you forgot about the goodness and the kindness and mercy of God. Think about how many times you've skipped church, you've missed out on a Sunday, you simply just didn't go because you were tired because of your own plans. Think about if God treated you the way that you deserved. Think about how many times he could have been like, no. You see, this is what religious people do. They mutter. They don't don't get it. They don't fully understand the ways of Jesus. They don't fully see the grace and the goodness of God. And so they think to themselves, this is in ridiculous taste. I've been there before as a pastor. My my first year of being a a pastor, I worked at a a good church, but I had some older people that had been to church for a long time, and they were clean, and they, you know, we wear suits, and we we dress up for church, and we we had, I was a youth pastor, and so it was one fearful 
Factor. Remember that show Fear Factor was really popular and we, we said we got to do something to reach teenagers, right? Anything short of sin. The Son of Man has came to seek and save the lost and so how can we reach them in an understandable way? So we'll do a Fear Factor night and then we'll tie Fear Factor into the message. We'll talk about being afraid and how God is an ever-present help in a time of need but we're going to do real Fear Factor and so we went into the, to the tabernacle which is the old-fashioned word for the, the sanctuary. If you don't know what sanctuary is, it just means biggest room in the church, right? So we went to the sanctuary instead of the youth room because we were going to have so many kids there that night, and we played Fear Factor. And, and, and the kicker, the biggest thing that we did, the grossest thing that we did all night is we took, we took goldfish, and we put them in a blender. If you're an animal lover, you might want to put earmuffs right now. And we put it in a blender, and we had these, these, these goldfish swimming around. And we, we did Fear Factor where we blended those goldfish up, and we had the kids race to drink uh, the, the, the goldfish smoothie and as fast as they could. And, and the kicker of all of it was we took a camera when we blended it up and we put the camera on these big 20-foot IMAX screens on each side of the stage so you could see the whole process happening. And, and here's the thing. It was a cool cool time, you know, kind of gross, kind of kind of wacky, but after we preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and people's lives got changed. And here's the thing. A lot of the older people in the church muttered about it, right? It was like, I can't believe you were in the tabernacle and you, you did this. And I think to myself, man, do you ever read stories like Zacchaeus? Do you ever, do you ever realize how unreligious that Jesus was, how he didn't pay attention to the people that you wanted him to pay attention to, and he didn't follow the rules that you wanted him to follow, and oftentimes in your own life, you would probably say the same thing. This is in ridiculous taste. I can't believe Jesus is doing this. In fact, one of my favorite passages in the scripture is written in 1 Corinthians 1, and it addresses this, and it's kind of lengthy, but I want you to read it with me, and maybe you can go back and read it again because you, you won't remember it all, but it's so good. Watch what he says. For the message of the cross is foolishness. It's tasteless to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, what is it? It's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligent of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of, of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ and Christ crucified. Watch what he says. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to, God, to, to, to those who are perishing. Verse number 26 says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many of you influential, not many of you of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. That's what he's doing right here, by the way. He's choosing the foolish things of the world. Wisdom is you go to synagogue, you go to church, you stand up, you sit down, you say the right prayers, you wear the boxes on your head with scripture in it, you do all the rules and God will accept you. And God says, that's not how it works. Some people say this is ridiculous taste. Some people, though, would go, man, this is a ridiculous amount of grace. Those of you that can relate to Zacchaeus today, you're listening to my voice, and you're going, man, I have messed up. I, I am not qualified. I should not be in church. Man, this is the only time I would ever even listen to church because I feel like if I went to church, I'd be judged. I'd be an outsider. I wouldn't be, be good enough. And you're realizing not, not only is this amazing, but this is what we would call ridiculous amounts of grace. You see, the grace of God stands by itself in a category all alone. The grace of God is irrational to the thinker. It's unfair to the judge. It's foolishness to the achiever. It's a waste to the selfish. Grace is a mistake to the disciplinarian, and it is shame to the religious person. 
But it's a stream of water to the thirsty. It's freedom to the imprisoned. It's life to the dead. Grace is rest to the tired. It is another chance to the failed. It is hope to the despondent. It is a way out for the lost and a way in for those who see the door. Grace, it's not theological, it's not doctrine, it's not philosophy, it's not something to be balanced with anything else. It's not even the most important thing. Grace is the only thing. It's the only thing. Grace throws parties for people returning uh, to home. Grace pays everybody the same regardless of what time of the day they began to work. Grace restores dignity to whores that everybody else wants to stone. And grace hugs the diseased leper that nobody else wants to touch. You see, in this situation, grace was looking past a person's behavior and seeing the person for who they are in the eyes of God. You see, everybody else judged this situation based on Zacchaeus and what he did, but But the Lord looked at him for who he could become. This is all about grace. One of my favorite stories and examples of this is years ago I read this story by by a man named named Tony Campolo. uh, And he he said one time he was in Hawaii at a a conference. And he was a preacher and teacher. He was teaching at this conference. And jet lag kind of kept him up. It was 2 o'clock in the morning. He couldn't sleep. And so he began to walk down the street. He found a diner that was open, went to this diner uh, and, and began to drink coffee and talk to the, the, the owner that was there and kind of kind of share, share some, some thoughts and some life. And in walked a group of, of prostitutes. And the one prostitute looked at the rest of the prostitutes, and they're overhearing this, this, this conversation. And, he, and she said, tomorrow's my birthday. Tomorrow's my birthday. To which the other one said, why do we care? What, what does it matter? Tomorrow's your birthday. Like, would you want a party? And so Tony overheard this, and he looked at the owner, and he said, did those group of women come in here every night? And, and he said, yeah. He said, I'll see you back here tomorrow night. And so the, the next night, he came in with a birthday cake and some candles and some hats, as the story goes. And, and he sits down, and in walks the, the lady, and they have this cake and, this, and this, these hats, and they begin to sing happy birthday to this lady. And with tears streaming down her, her, her face and a big smile on, 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 in her, on her mouth, like you could just see that she was touched by this, to which the owner looked at him. And said, what type of church do you, do you pastor? Like, what type of, of, of church are you a part of? This is the type of church that I would want to be a part of. And to which Tony says this classic line. He says, I, I'm, type, I'm a part of the church. I'm a, I'm a part of the type of church that throws parties for prostitutes at 2 a.m. in the middle of a diner. I want to be a part of a church that shares grace like Jesus shared grace. You see, there's two ways to look at it. You can say, this is ridiculous taste. I can't believe he did this. Or you can realize, because you've experienced the grace of God, that this is ridiculous grace. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Why do we talk about the grace of God? Because Paul says the grace of God changes people. And I want to show you this. It wasn't just about going to a party to make a statement, but this actually was Jesus about to change Zacchaeus' life. I want to show you as we close kind of what what happens, what what, what goes on. Two things happen to him. I want you to see this in the story. One, and this is what happens when Jesus gives us grace. One is he becomes really, really grateful. You'll you'll see this in in Zacchaeus' life. He's really greedy. He, he, He thinks about himself only, right? And in this moment, Jesus changes his life. And you'll see, you'll see. And this is what happens when people meet Jesus, the grace of God, not just church. You see, church doesn't often leave you grateful. Religion definitely doesn't leave you grateful because oftentimes it's about your work, your accomplishments. But the grace of God makes people really grateful because they realize that it has cost Jesus everything 
to come to their life. And he becomes really grateful. Watch what the Bible says in Luke 19, if you go back to the story. It says, so he came down at once, and what does he do? He welcomes him gladly. He is super excited. He is super grateful that of all the people that are there, that Jesus has told him that he's going to come to his house today. I have always wondered to myself, how do you meet Jesus in your sins, in your disaster, in your destruction, in your pit, and become any other way than grateful? Like sometimes I've talked to church people, people that you know, I've grown up with, people that I've gone to church with, people that are part of Journey Church, and there is not an ounce of gratefulness. It is almost as if they think that they're doing something for you as, as you work at the church. Like they're building the church with you, but really you owe them because of what they've given to you. But there's these other people that I meet that they know how much Jesus has changed them, given to them, grace that he has restored their life with, and they just become ridiculously grateful. You see, last week we, we kind of shared... A, a similar story with the woman who comes in, the woman of the night. I didn't get to read you all of the story, but if you would go back and read it again in Luke chapter 7, they're, they're kind of amazed at this story. And so Jesus tells this story to all the listeners. He says, hey, there's one man uh, that has the debt of 500 denarii, another that has the debt of 50 denarii. Uh, they, they both have to pay their debtor. They, they owe money. Like there, there is no, There's no putting it off. Their debtor comes to collect it. Neither one of them can pay it. And so the debtor cancels both of their debts. And then Jesus looks at the Pharisee because they're logical. And he says, he says which one would, would be more grateful? And the Pharisee says, the one who had been given 500. And he looks at, looks at them and says, he says, same is true for this woman. You're making a big deal about the scene that she's making. She's crying. She's wiping my feet with her hair. She, she's sobbing. And, and you're making a big deal, but she's that 500 denarii person. You see, you still have sins to be forgiven, but because you don't see them as that big of a deal, when I came to your house, you didn't wash my feet. You didn't welcome me in. You didn't honor me. You didn't do anything. You're not grateful at all. You see, when the grace of God takes over somebody's life, they become ridiculously grateful. Think about it. One of the things I missed this week uh, or, or this season uh, that, that, that I wanted to be a part of that I never got to be a part of before is I've never stood in line on the first day of spring uh, to to get a free readers. I don't even know if they do that anymore, but the last couple years, I've watched lines and lines of people stand in line for, for what seemed like an eternity just to get some free readers, and I really wanted to experience that this year, and I, I was like, man, I'm going to do it, and then we, this all happened, and we didn't get to do it, and I've always wondered, myself, wondered to myself, why do people do that? Why do people stand? Readers isn't that expensive. Why do you stand for that long? And, and the truth is, they're willing to do that because they're super grateful because they're about to get free, free readers, and so they're willing to stand in line. They're willing to sacrifice. They're willing to do that because they're grateful. You see, gratefulness changes people's lives. I wonder what it would look like when the church opened back up and we established a really grateful heart. I wonder how early we would come to church. I wonder how long we would stand in line if the church got too full. I wonder how grateful that we would be if we simply understood the goodness of Jesus Christ, the grace of Jesus Christ. So Zacchaeus, one, he becomes really grateful in that moment. He's super excited. He honors the Lord. And number two, check this out. This is even more important. He becomes radically generous. You see, the, the truth is, when Jesus gives somebody life, when he gives somebody forgiveness, when he gives somebody grace, when he gives somebody mercy, the natural response not only is to be grateful, it changes the way that you think, but also it changes how you live your life. And you'll see this in the story. What, what, what did he struggle with? Struggle with greed. He struggled with holding on to things. But the Bible says that in the middle of that party, I don't know if he's watching what Jesus is doing, listening to him talk. The Bible says that Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, so you can just, I want you to picture this. He's in the room with a bunch of other greedy people. 
He's in the room with a bunch of other wealthy uh, people that hold on, that steal. And in front of everybody, he is so grateful that Jesus has come to his house, that Jesus has said, you're a son of Abraham, that Jesus has considered him worthwhile, that he stands up, and I want you to see the power in this. He says, here and now, I'm going to give half of everything that I own away to the poor. Right now. Could you imagine this moment? I'm going to give half of everything I owe. And then he does this. And he says, if I cheated anybody out of anything, I'm going to pay them back four times the amount. Something has come over him, friend. His gratefulness has led to radical generosity. You see, grace is a radically generous God giving to us his best, his one and only son. And the only response to grace is to become radically generous with our lives. Whatever we got to do, I'm going to be more forgiving. I'm going to be more financially giving. I'm not going to let anything grip my life up. You know what's interesting? One chapter earlier, in Luke chapter 18, you can read about the story. Um, this, this rich man comes, same as, same as Zacchaeus. He comes to Jesus, though. He comes to Jesus on his, on his own term. And he, he says, hey, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do to follow you? And so they go over some theology. And then Jesus says, oh, yeah, one more thing. You got to leave the money. You're, you're rich. You got to leave that and come follow me. And the Bible says that, that the, the wealthy young man leaves dejected. There's a difference. There's a difference. See, it starts with gratefulness. In one, what does the man do? The man thinks, I got to do the work to get to Jesus. What do I got to do to get to Jesus? What do I got to do? What do I got to What I got to follow? What do I, what do I got to give up? What do I got to do? In Zacchaeus' life, what happens? Who, who me too? Zacchaeus gets himself in position to see Jesus, but who, who calls who? Jesus calls him. Jesus does the work. See, there's the difference between grace and religion. In religion, you're the, you're, you're the, you're the rich young ruler. What do I got to do? And the Bible says oftentimes when we think about all that we have to do, it's too much. We go, I don't want it. But in grace, in the gospel, you know Jesus has already done it. Jesus came to your house. Listen, Jesus would have been made fun of. Jesus would have been ridiculed. Jesus would have been rejected. Jesus would have lost followers because of his choice and his decision to go to Zacchaeus' house. Listen, Jesus lost his life. Jesus sacrificed eternity. Jesus gave up everything to get to you. That is the grace of God. And when you experience the grace of God, it changes you. You become grateful. You, you become generous. And some of you are saying, well, how, do, how does Jesus recognize me like that? Like, out of all the people in the city, why did Jesus see Zacchaeus? Was it because he was a little man up in a tree? Is that why he saw him? And I, I would argue that that's not the case. See, the Bible, the Bible doesn't put anything in Scripture by accident. So I found some, some new um, gold nuggets in this story through some study, not just from this message, but from a, a previous message. Because when I sang this, we sang this song growing up, it was always Zacchaeus climbed up in a tree. But the Bible lets you know what type of tree. And here's what's so interesting. The Bible says that Zacchaeus, if you go to Luke chapter 19, verse number 4, that he runs ahead. And what does he do? He climbs up in a sycamore fig tree. That, that, that sycamore tree is significant. Listen, the sycamore tree, if you know the story of Jesus, is the same tree that would have filled the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, if you don't know what the Garden of Gethsemane is, that's the place that literally Jesus uh, spends his time right before he would go to trial and go to the cross. He prepared himself there. He, he prayed through tears and through stress and anxiety, and he did so surrounded by, by sycamore trees in that moment, and what he was going to would represent grace. And oftentimes, people also think that the wood that they used to make the cross would have been a sycamore, sycamore tree wood. 
So this tree has meaning. This tree is all about grace. It's all about mercy. And so when he climbs this, this tree, it's not by chance. It's a sycamore tree. The Bible is clear. The way to give yourself to Jesus, the way to find Jesus, to present yourself to Jesus is through humility. In fact, I wrote in my, 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 my notes, humility gives God the ability to change your life. This was humility. Here is this upstanding, wealthy tax collector, and he's also short. Don't you think people would have found an opportunity to make fun of him? Look how short you are. You might have all this money, but you can't grow anymore. You're so short. And in this moment, he has to lay down his pride to climb up a tree because he's so short to see Jesus. But what he's actually climbing up was the grace tree. And when he climbs up the grace tree, the the love of God, the Lamb of God, the Son of God recognizes him because that's how the Bible says we're supposed to come to God. Watch what it says in Psalms 151. It says, you don't delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. And you don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. He says, my sacrifice, oh God, watch what he says, is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. God, those you do not despise. I come to you with a broken spirit, a humble spirit, and a sorry heart. And in those moments, Jesus recognizes that. Jesus sees that. Jesus calls us that. And when you experience the grace of God, you you become really grateful. You become really generous. Your life changes forever. That God's here right now. He's here right now. What I want you to do all over your house is I just want you to close your eyes. I know, um, I know it might be awkward to just close your eyes right there. You're watching a screen, and so tendency is to want to look and see what's going on. But nothing's happening. It's just me on the same, the same, same stage, standing in front of the same camera with the same stage lights on. I'm not doing any dances or moving to the right or the left. I'm just here. But once you listen to my voice, but more importantly, I, I want my voice to be drowned out by the power and the presence of God. I, I love I love to think about the grace of God because I think it's so ridiculous. It's almost scandalous. It's so unfair. You're right. It's, it's, it's so otherworldly. It's not even right. But it's good. It's life-changing. And I feel like there's somebody listening to my voice that you are not typically in church that you are, are not typically somebody who will listen to the Bible, that, that you, you are filled with shame, that you, 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 you just want to hide out and kind of watch this by yourself. And, 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 but the Lord has began to speak to you in this season, in this moment, in this time. Maybe this is the second or third week that you're watching right now. And the Lord has been speaking to you. And the Bible says that he knocks at the door of men, men and women. That it, I, when, I, when, I, when I gave my life to Christ, all I could feel was like this burning in my chest. It was just like this real sensation of, of this pulling and this burning in my chest where I knew something was about to change. My story's different than man. I grew up in church, but I feel like I got saved when I was 18. I feel like my life changed when I was 18. I knew the Lord with my head, but I gave the Lord my heart. And I feel like the Spirit of the Lord is speaking. And I want to pray with you. And and I know it's going to be a little different, but I want to pray what many times is called the sinner's prayer. And the sinner's prayer is just a, a confession and, and admitting to yourself that you need a relationship with God, that you're a sinner, and, and that you deserve death in hell. That's what the Bible says. But the Bible says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Maybe you've never heard this story before. What did Jesus do for you? Jesus stepped from perfection into temporary, into broken. 
He went to, to a Roman cross 2,000 years ago, and he was sacrificed. He was beaten. He was, he was nailed to a cross. And the Bible says, when he shed his blood and he gave up his life, he did so for me and you. Not only did he die, but the Bible says they placed him in a tomb and they tried to end the story there. But on the third day, on a Sunday, he rose in power. Not only did he pay the price for your sin, but he defeated death and hell. He defeated death and hell. And now he sits at the right hand of God in a place of authority. That means he has the authority to save and change your life. And he calls you by name. He calls you by name. See, we don't serve a God who's impersonal. And, and it just kind of loves us all as one. We serve a God that knows us, that's formed us, that made us, that wants to have a relationship with us. And the Bible says anybody in this moment that doesn't know Jesus but wants a relationship with him, if you call on the name of the Lord, the Bible says you shall be saved. And so you call through prayer. Jesus, come into my life. So I, I know maybe there's people here, you've never been to church before. And when I ask you to pray, you're like, what do I do? So what, I, what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray. And, and in your home there, if that's you, you're just going to repeat after me. No matter if you're old, you're young, whatever's going on, you're just going to repeat this prayer. And the Bible says, as you call on the name of the Lord, Jesus, come into my life, save my sins. The Bible says you're going to be changed forever. That he wants to be in your house. That he wants to change your life. That you are not too far from the grace and the mercy of God. That his mercy is new every morning. That you've screwed up your life so bad, but you've woken up today. And this is the day that the Lord has made. The day that he's going to change your life forever. And today you're just going to call on the name of the Lord. And so I'm going to ask you right now, if that's you, I'm going to pray. And I want you to pray with me. I want you just to, I'm going to say something. You're going to repeat it back with me. And we're going to believe Jesus is going to move in that, in that home right now. He's good. He's grace-filled. He's forgiving. He's merciful. He's here right now. Would you do that with me all over our house and say, Jesus. Jesus. Say it again. Jesus. Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I need you to come into my life right now. I believe you died on a cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead and I believe it's through you that I have my sins forgiven and the promise of eternal life. Jesus, the Bible says that I'm a brand new creation. I believe what was true of me before I prayed this prayer is no longer true of me. That I'm saved. That I'm set free. That I'm fully alive. Jesus, I found purpose. Jesus, I found hope. Jesus, you're my Lord, and Jesus, you're my Savior. In your name we pray, Jesus. And would you shout amen as loud as you can all over those houses. Hey, do me a favor. We're going to sing one more song, and we're going to celebrate the promises of Jesus Christ, that he'll never leave us nor forsake us, that he's an ever-present help in a time of need. But if you responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, right on the left hand, right below, right down here, they're going to bring up a lower third, and it's going to show you how to respond. And you can just simply say, hey, I responded. Uh, or you can just put one of those two emojis up and let us know. And somebody from our staff is going to reach out to you, whether through an email, through a phone call, a text, whatever you need. We're going to do whatever we can to make sure that you understand the significance of, the, of this decision. And hey, we answer any questions that you may have. The other thing we want you to do, if you're a guest here today, don't forget to fill out our online connection card. We would love to connect with you. We'd love to get you moving in whatever direction you want to get moving. Answer any questions that you may have. Thank you so much for being at church with us. Thank you so much for worshiping with us. Come on, let's sing one more time.
Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message, or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you.